Today I want to just take some time as we look at the book of Luke, the 11th chapter. Uh, we've made it all the way up to the 11th chapter, and we saw many things that Jesus said and did through the gospel of Luke, and we began in the very first chapter when it talked about them that sat in darkness saw a great light. There, there was such a need for God to send his very best, to send light into a place of darkness that we would have hope and peace. And so in this particular passage, I just want to spend a little time uh, talking about the idea of prayer. And maybe we've heard that before, and we've talked about prayer a little bit. But have you ever just kind of had those times growing up where prayer just seemed kind of rigid? You know, and nobody needs to raise their hand and see it be an empirical question. Maybe you've gone through some repetition when it comes to prayer. And even in your, you know, your background or experience, there were certain ones that you said, you just said over and over. I remember as a kid, my grandmother taught me one, and it, it kind of goes like this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Yeah, so maybe you've heard that one before. There are other ones that you know. And now I remember when I was thinking about that, I was like, wait a minute, I hope, my Lord's I hope my soul is secure in the Lord so I don't have to pray that he takes it. But we, we, we can be reminded of, if we're not careful, prayer can be rigid. It can seem routine. We can get caught up in the moments of just saying the same thing over and over again and forget that it's not just reciting a, a, a certain verbiage, but it's talking with our Father, spending time with Abba, God, precious Father. And so I just want to spend a little bit of time talking about that today uh, because we see the disciples are wondering about this very thing because Jesus was a man of prayer. He would go and he would spend time with his Father. He would talk with him. And he said in many of the scriptures, he said, I do nothing but the, what the Father tells me to do. I and my Father are one. Do you have a relationship like that, maybe in the, in the natural with someone that you talk so much that it seems like y'all can repeat each other's words? Y'all can say the same thing. Sometimes I listen and I'll be talking the same thing at the same time. <laughs> God so desires that we be in relationship in that way. And so if you would turn with me to the book of Luke, the 11th chapter, verse 1 and verse 9 and 10, we'll ask this, see this question being asked of Jesus, and we'll see one of Jesus' responses to it. In the book of Luke, the 11th chapter, verse 1, and the book of Luke, the 11th chapter, verse 9 and 10, it says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocked, knocketh, it shall be opened. Teach us to pray. 
Many of us have heard a lot about prayer over the years, and today we're going to spend a little time talking about it as well. And we see even here that the disciples ask this question to Jesus. He, you know, one of the disciples asked, teach us to pray. Because up to this point, the emphasis of Luke, as we see one of the four Gospels, this particular book, this Gospel of Luke, puts an imp some importance on prayer. We even see from the very beginning, Zechariah is in prayer of seeking light that God would send to the world. This particular gospel has fallen on the prayer life of Jesus. So we see Jesus over and over and over again going into prayer. Jesus often took time, went off to a certain place to pray with God the Father. But in this particular passage, a certain unnamed disciple that sees the Lord's practice as a pattern of life. He's going off. He's praying. He's seeking the Father. He sees Jesus doing this over and over and over again. And so he asks Jesus, because it seems to be something very important that Jesus would do it so often. He makes the statement, teach us to pray. This particular statement implies that the Hebrews thought or believed that there was a proper way to pray. The disciples also asked Jesus to teach them to pray because he knew that this was an era of ignorance or inexperience for most Jews. See, the reality of it is, is most Jews would allow the priests or the kings to pray for them. We remember when Moses was at Mount Sinai and, the, and the, the people had been brought out of Egypt and God so wanted to be in fellowship with them, that, but the people were afraid. They were saying, Moses, you go up to the mountain, you talk to God. We don't want to do that. That frightens us. And we see even in this passage here, we see an example in the book of gospel, I mean the the book of Luke, in Luke, the first chapter, verse 9 and 10, the Hebrews never addressed prayer or praise to God so much in a personal way, but more so in a corporate with the priest and with the king. And Zechariah being one of these priests, we see in the book of Luke, the first chapter, verse 9 and 10, it says, according to the custom of the priest of the office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. As a priest, he would go at a certain time. He would have a week throughout the year that he would go and burn incense. The Bible went, goes on to say in verse 10, and the, and the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And when we see that word praying without, what it means is either that they were praying without ceasing or they were praying without words. In other words, Zechariah was the one that was using words, but they were silent. Maybe the meditation of their heart and their mind. And maybe they were just, their eyes were closed and their heads down and they were falling asleep. Anybody ever been there? 
And so the priest was praying, and everybody's kind of in the, maybe you sat in a service, and they're praying in a different language. They're praying in Latin. You don't understand it. He's doing the praying, and we're going, no, not here. And so we're not fully into the relationship of prayer, but we're more so in the ritual and the process. See, there was a certain ritualism in it that it could invoke a certain level of rigidness that we were missing something. We could sometimes take the same approach today, you know that? Let the pastor, let the priest do it. Pray for me. I don't know what to say. I haven't learned the formal methods of praying. Maybe I haven't formed those good habits through a lack of not being consistent in praying. That habit hasn't formed in me. And so it becomes an afterthought instead of a forethought. And therefore it doesn't cross our mind to praise him or give thanks like we should. You ever, had a, you ever had that moment where you're like, oh, man, I missed it. See, with the disciples, there were very few instances that we see in the Gospels where the disciples were characterized as men of prayer. Do you know that? It's not a whole lot. There's some reasons that we're going to talk about, but you don't see the disciples in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, really being in prayer. Jesus was often characterized as being alone in prayer. And when he did take a few of the disciples with him to go up in the mountains to pray, they fell asleep. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 40 and 41, here, listen to what it says. Then Jesus returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. Were you not able to keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you enter not into temptation. And even so, the, the disciples are questioned on their prayer life by the Pharisees and by John's disciples. They're like, wait a minute. We don't see your disciples praying that much. But in the disciples' defense, their lack of documented occurrences of prayer, at least in this gospel context, was explained by Jesus in the book of Mark, the second chapter, verse 18 through 20. And here's what he said. The disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. See, that word fasting means, you know, if, 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 you, if you're just not eating and you're not praying, all you're doing is you're on a diet. Okay? Fasting in, itses, in itself constitutes the laying down of something so that we can take up a greater relationship with the Lord, a closer praying with him. 
So it includes both. Then they came and said to him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? See, he's saying something. He said, you know what? In their very conversation with me, they're entering in exactly what God's desire is for each and every one of us. See, it's not his desire is not the rituals or the scripture. His desire is relationship. And so Jesus is making it clear that they're in relationship. They're communicating with me. They're learning of me. So they don't need in this context to do it just yet. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. So for the most part, it's not until the book of Acts that we see the disciples in prayer. And this is when Jesus had already went to the cross. He had already died for all of our sins. He had raised from the dead and he had been resurrected, raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. And look what it says in the book of Acts, the first chapter, verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, earnest desire, with the women and Mary, the, mo- the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. So they're in this upper room in the book of Acts. They're waiting for the next steps, and we know that the day of Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit falls, and the work of God through the disciples and through others of hearing of the gospel comes about. But these men and these women are now in sincere prayer before the Lord. The prayer life which characterizes the Lord Jesus' will now characterizes the disciples as well. They're continuing their relationship with Jesus. They're not forgetting to be up close and personal with him. See, the gospel of Luke is paving the way. It's laying the foundation for a constant communion with God in prayer. They got to walk with Jesus and talk with Jesus. They got to know that he loves them with an undying love, that he'll never leave them or forsake them, that he cares for them deeply. They got to see him go to the cross and die for all of mankind. And they heard him say those words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And just as it broke the heart of centurions, it continues to break the hearts of God's people. To love him, to desire to be close to him. But the disciple asks this question, teaches to pray. Give us some routine. Give us something to say. And so God, Jesus gives them a 
couple of words. We call it the model prayer. But this is not the essence of the teaching. It's just to give us something to think about, to give us some things to hold on to. And so we see that in the book of Luke, the 11th chapter, verse 2 through 4. And maybe you're familiar with this. This is a little different variant than the one we see in Mark. Most people have memorized the Mark 6 one, where it says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses or our debtors as we forgive those that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Luke is a little similar to that. Changes the words up just a little bit. The same intent. He reminds us of acknowledging who God is, the kingdom coming. God's will be done as it is in heaven and earth. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And Luke stops at that point. But both of them clears up four key points that is important for us to recognize and understand in our prayer. The first one is acknowledging God's character. Hallowed be thy name. Holy are you. As we sung the song, you are righteous, you are worthy, your character is without blemish. You are righteous and holy. And we acknowledge that's who he is. And then the, the, the second portion of this prayer, seeking the coming of God's kingdom, that his will be done, that his kingdom come. Do you know, saints of God, if God's will is done, if God's kingdom come, everything will be all right? That his, as his light comes in, it expels the darkness. As his righteousness comes in, sin has to go. As his life comes in, death has to flee. As Jesus was walking down the road, they, they, they said, what have we to do with you? demons they were saying they were immediately thinking he was going to cast them out he says cast us somewhere don't utterly cast us out and he sent them into swine and as we ask for the kingdom of God to come into our life and to come into our circumstances and come into our situation it will heal the brokenhearted. it will set the captives free it will give light in a dark place. And then also we just reminded to request for those daily physical needs. The Bible reminds us that we have not because we ask not. That a loving father wants us to come to him and ask him. To let our quest be known to God. Because he's a God that's Shema. He hears and he responds. And then Jesus said, 
the last part. Be willing to confess God's provision for your sin. Forgive others as God has forgiven you. Ask him to lead lead you not into temptation. He never will. But deliver us from evil. In other words, he will deliver us out of that situation or he'll walk us through it. And we can trust him. That God doesn't tempt any of us. That's from the devil. That's from the, the sin that's in this flesh. It's never from God. But with the temptation, he will make a way of escape for you. And so he says, ask for him, confess it. Come before me. But do you know in all of this, and, 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 and I don't want to say anything that's going to off-kilter us, because these are some very important words that Jesus is saying. But you know, this is not the essence of what Jesus is trying to relay to the disciples and to us. He's not trying to give us a roped process to be able to go through. He's not trying to say, say all of these things this way, memorize this, and every night say this over and over and over and over again. But he is saying to us, remember, reflect, meditate on these areas. And when you meditate on them, when you pray, there's a manner and there's a motivation for our prayer. And it's so important that we understand what that manner of prayer, that motivation is. And so Jesus gives this parable. You know Jesus loves parables. He loves telling stories. Just try to give us something to think about. And so he gives this parable in verse 5 through 8. And this parable centers around a friend who comes to another friend's house at midnight. Anybody had a friend come to your house at midnight or later? What's the first thing that come across your mind? What in the world is going on? Or what's wrong with you? (laughs) So Jesus says these words. He said, and he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey. The the Jewish culture was very big on hospitality, that you always have something to give when people come. And I have nothing set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. Why are you waking me at midnight? The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, through though he will not rise and give to him because he is, he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. What is Jesus saying here? First, he speaks about that part of the friend coming 
in, do, in the statement of do not trouble me. See, saints of God, so often if we're not careful, we can have this distance with God that we won't see him the right way and love him the right way and understand him the right way. And so this statement of do not trouble me, sometimes we can have that impression in our mind that we're troubling God. And that, well, I don't need to ask him for that or this is too much or, you know, he's not concerned about that thing. And so we can kind of keep God at a distance. We can come up with this idea that we've troubled him or we will trouble him. But the Bible reminds us to come boldly to the throne of grace. That he is your father. It's not a ritual or tradition, but a close relation, personal relationship like a friend. That he so desires to be with us. But Jesus also talks a little bit about when he says the word, yet because of his persistence. Jesus speaks to the consistency of going after. That if you have a friend that you know that's your friend, that if you just persist, they're going to give you what you want. That you don't have any hesitation about ruining the relationship. That you know that the relationship's intact, that because of your friend, you can ask over and over again. That you can go after See, God desires that we hunger and thirst after righteousness, that we seek his face, not just for our needs to be met, but there should be a hunger and a thirsting for him. So Jesus makes this point after giving this parable. See, here's the teaching point that Jesus wants to, to make, and it begins in verse 9 and 10. He said, yeah, I give you these things to think about, that you can pray this prayer. I told you this parable, how that individual was willing to go to his friend at midnight, at any hour of the day, that there was no thought in his mind that he was inconveniencing his friend and that he would persist. And Jesus says these words, so I say to you. Here's the teaching point. Acts, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. See, Jesus is saying in those few short words, he's saying keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. He wants us to understand something with that keep on axing. As I mentioned before, you have not because you ax not. See, it goes a little bit farther than just you haven't said the words. It's, it, it, it relates more so that you're not, we've not been fully confident that the Father has the provision and will provide it for us. See, I, I realized something about our, my, our children when they were very young. 
they had no hesitation and no thought about not getting from their parents. They would come, and if they wanted something, they would ask over and over and over again, and there was no doubt in their mind that their, their parents couldn't provide it. They didn't, at, at one point, you know when you first tried to talk to them about money and about checking account? Maybe you had that child that, that just, they, they kind of scratched their head and they looked at you and they're like, well, okay, we'll just write, a, write, the, write the check. That wasn't a concept in their mind that you didn't have enough in the bank. They're just like, write the check. Or standing in the line, I want this. See, they asked because they were fully confident. Not at one point did it cross their mind that you didn't have enough. You see, God is, act, is saying to us, stop acting like I don't have enough. He says in his word, I have a cattle on a thousand hills. I'm rich beyond measure. I'm alpha and omega. The beginning and the end. I formed the world and the heavens. All you got to do is act. But then Jesus makes that next statement. He says to seek. Keep seeking. See, what is Jesus telling us with that? But he's telling us to seek out God's will. We often want God to tell us what to do. Tell us this. Tell us that. Tell me what to do. Tell you that. And we put our prayer requests in certain boxes without seeking out God's will for every situation. You know, when we seek God's will and we understand his will, it'll answer a whole lot of those questions that we have, the situations in our life. So often people would come to me and they'd say, Pastor, tell me what I should do. Tell me if I should go to take this job or I should take this career. And I'd say, well, what does God say? I remind them that God's will is more this way than this way. That God can use you right where you are. He can use you in this different place. What has, been, what has God been shaping and forming in you? over these years, over this time. Because if God goes with you, wherever you at, you can be in his perfect will. See, it's not so much about all these different, these roads here. It's about are you abiding in him, walking with him, and he's seeing you through all of it. But it goes a little farther. Because we can say, I want this to be removed. I want this situation to change in my life. You remember Paul? Paul so wanted that thorn, whatever it may have been. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. 
see, Paul started realizing that, you know what? God is with me. God will see me through this situation. His will is for my good and not my bad. I'm going to be all right. No matter what it may look like to the natural eye. He went on to say, I've learned that whatever state I'm in, to be content. I've learned to how to have much and how to have little. See, as he sought the will of the Lord, it changed the way he saw his situation. And so in, in the, when it changed the way he saw his situation, it changed his prayer. That maybe he didn't pray so much for God to change the thorn or, or get him out of the situation, but Lord, your grace is sufficient. I know you love me. I know you'll see me through it. See, there's a passage of scripture that talks about God already knowing. Look with me in Mark, the sixth chapter, verse 31 through 34. It says this, therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or whether with all shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all of these things. See, here's what happens. We start out in our, in our I'm going to say our baby Christian life, and we start asking for, well, give me clothes. Give me finances. Give me this. And that's good to ask. But as we grow in our relationship with the Lord and we grow into seeking his will and, his, and already understanding that he has our good and not our bad, that he's a great and an awesome God, and he's going to sustain us through every situation, that it changes now our request. See verse 33. For seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. See, we start understanding that God knows that we need food. God knows that we need clothing. God knows these things. And you know what? He loved me so much he's going to meet them. I'm going to seek his righteousness. I'm going to seek his will. Because he's going to, these things are secondary. If I have them, okay. If I don't, okay. And so we start seeking a deeper, closer relationship with the Lord. And it says, and all these things shall be added unto you. They no longer become such a priority in our life. They're still necessary. But they're not the, the forethought, forethought of our thinking when we go before the Lord. Lord, I want to be in your presence. Lord, I want your righteousness. Lord, I want to fulfill your will. Show me your way. And oh, by the way, as I go, just like he told, Jesus told the disciples, remember he said, give no thought. He said, don't take all this money and this, these things with you. Just carry and go and do my will. And God will meet you at the very point of your need.
But then he says, knock, and it will be open to you. See, in this parable that Jesus gave, the determined borrower knocked on with shameless persistence. So that's what knock means in the Greek. It means that he persisted. It wasn't just one knock. Have you ever knocked at a door and walked away and said, well, I thought you wasn't home? You did that little tap. He knocked with shameless persistence. He wasn't ashamed. Sometimes we can come, go before God and we can be like, well, I don't know if I should ask you for this. I don't know if I should come before you with this problem. See, he knocked with shameless persistence because he knew that his friend could provide. And so Jesus is telling us to do the same thing. He's telling his disciples to knock because that door, if when you knock with shameless persistence, that door will be opened. Luke eleven ten says this, for everyone who acts receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. And so what is that door open to? This door is open to the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus spoke about that in Matthew 13, 11. He said, and the disciples came and said to, unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. If you're a child of God, if you believed on his name, God has great and wonderful things he wants to show you. But even for us, He's only going to give us what we can handle. What we're going to be committed to. What we're going to be consistent on. And so there's this process. We can stay in the axing or we can move to the seeking. And we can stay in the seeking or we can move to the knocking. And watch the mysteries of God unfold before our very eyes. This particular parable of the persistent friend, which normally has a parallel meaning, in this particular part it has a contrast. Because we can say, do we have to, you know, that thought, do we nag God like this friend nagged his friend? That's not really what Jesus is saying. See, the point here is based on a contrast between the resisted friend who didn't want to get up, who didn't want to do anything, and a willing father who's willing and able. See, a little bit farther, Jesus even talks about it. In eleven thirteen. he says this, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Ghost to those who ask him. See, Jesus is, is saying something that's just completely should blow our mind. 
So this is what Paul kind of gra- started grasping. You've maybe heard me say it before about Andre Crouch. He said, if I never had a test of trial, I wouldn't know that God could solve them. And so as we allow God to work in our life, as we seek to know him closer, as we press in towards the mark of the high calling that's in Christ Jesus, as we allow ourselves to persist in our relationship with him, there is glory upon glory that comes on the saints of God. We move from faith to faith to glory to glory. And so God is not like that unwilling householder who is coerced by his shameless persistence of his friend But God is a loving Father who supplies all of our needs. And he's willing to. He's willing to meet us at the very point of our needs. But he wants us to come part of the way. He loves us so much. He's constantly seeking to have a relationship close abiding relationship with us but he's such a gentleman that he's only gonna come close enough for us to reach out to him he's wanting us to take that next step to seek him to knock so that door of his kingdom can be opened unto us because when we put, we apply some effort to something, we're going to be more willing to stick with it. And we don't have to apply any effort or put any, put, put any uh, salt in the game. We're easy to fall off. We're easy to turn away. And so Jesus was speaking to the disciples. He says, more, it's not about all the rituals of what you say. But are you asking? Are you seeking? Are you knocking? If you want me to teach you to pray, hunger and thirst for righteousness, come to the Lord with your whole heart. Draw nigh to him and he'll draw nigh to you. Seek him. Don't turn your back on him. Don't put him in that in, 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 in that category of being so far away, but see him as Abba, Father. Be persistent to know your Father. Be persistent to commune with him. Be persistent to give him all of you. Let your manner of prayer be a child coming to a loving Father, desiring to be in relationship with him. Let it not be the ritual of repetition, but be founded in a relationship with God that acts, knowing that being fully confident that he can provide, that seeks his will and not our will, and that knocks for his abundant grace and the mysteries of his kingdom to be unfolded unto us, and watch God do a great and wonderful an amazing work in us 
that will be thought of just like David was, a man after God's own heart that was willing to say, Abba, Father, I come to you. I guarantee you, your prayer life will be more than you can ever even imagine and think. Because the bridegroom is with you. Let him be with you. Acts, speak, and knock. Watch what God does.